to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. Um, My name is Rachel Harris, and like it mentioned in the promo, I am a certified professional dog trainer, and I own and run a good-feeling dog training based in Denver, Colorado. Um, I so much enjoy coaching people to train their dogs. It's seriously my sole purpose. That's why I'm on this planet, is to help people and their dogs connect better. So I'm so happy to have you, and I hope this podcast will yield positive results for your relationship with your dog. Like I said uh, in previous episodes, I've got some really good episodes to share with you, and this episode is no exception. In today's episode, we talk all about breed-specific legislation, what it is, how it's implemented, how it negatively affects communities, and what we can do to change it to keep blocky-headed dogs safe everywhere. Um, Chantel Mackney joins me, and she is the founder and president of Justice for Bullies, which is a nonprofit that focuses on educating people so they can be responsible dog owners. Uh, this conversation, we we go deep down, you guys. Um, but I just want you to know that I have included links to tons and tons of resources about BSL as well as the definition of BSL in the show notes. Um, we can only talk about so much in a podcast episode, so there's lots of information that you can check out there to kind of further educate yourself about BSL, where it is, if it exists in your area. Um, I'm feeling really motivated motivated to do some more advocacy work. So if you live in Denver and you have been working to fight BSL, I would love to join your cause. So please send me a DM over on the Instagram. Um, If you guys aren't already following us at a good feeling underscore NCO, I post lots of training tips and inspiration over there. So that's another great free resource for dog training advice. Something else that Chantel and I talk about in this episode is uh, education and how we can further educate the public to keep dogs and people safer. And I am so excited that I have joined Justice for Bullies as an advocate, and I am going to be uh, going to elementary schools and teaching kids um, how to safely interact with dogs so that we can hopefully decrease the amount of uh, bites reported in our area. So if you live in Colorado, you live in Denver, suburbs around Denver and you work at an elementary school, I would love to hear from you and I would love to come to your school and help the kids that you uh, educate um, so that they can learn how they can safely interact with dogs. And it's it's a super cool program. There's a song, there's a coloring book, you guys. It's the works. And I'm, I'm just so fired up and I'm so excited to be sharing this information with people so that we can keep kids and dogs safer and also work to decrease um, and get rid of of BSL. Um, BSL typically targets blocky-headed dogs like the one that I own, Sweet Waylin, um, and that has affected our life pretty deeply. Um, 
Denver has breed-specific legislation, and we had to move out of Denver. Because of that, we chose to live in a northern suburb of Denver that doesn't have BSL so that Waylon could live safely without uh, prejudice or prosecution. Um, so like I like I mentioned, Chantel uh, Mackney of Justice for Bullies, she won't say this about herself because she's humble, but she's a total badass, and she has uh, devoted her life to keeping blocky-headed dogs safe and it's profound and it has an impact um, everywhere. And I'm so grateful that she took the time to uh, share everything that she's doing. So guys, really please uh, love and enjoy this episode and let it light a fire under your ass so that we can get advocating for our beloved blocky-headed dogs. If you like this episode, please take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram. Uh, You can tag me at a good feeling underscore NCO. And you can also tag justice for bullies at justice for bullies. And I'll include links to everything that we talk about in this episode in the show notes, as well as a definition of BSL, just so that you can get uh, more information. So guys, enjoy this conversation. I'm sure you are well aware of CBD for dogs. I give Tiva and Waylon daily CBD just to promote their overall health. And we use VetCS. VetCS is a veterinary-based hemp therapy company, and they make products for not only dogs, but they also make cat and horse products too. Their products are lab analyzed and they will give you unmatched customer service. We love that VetCS and we are so excited to share this wonderful product with our listeners. If you are interested in learning more about VetCS, you can head over to their website, vetcs.com, and you can use code DisorderlyDogs for 10% off your first purchase. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am here with Chantel of Justice for Bullies, and I am so excited because she is going to share all things um, BSL and advocating for blocky-headed dogs. I want to kind of start by just defining what BSL is for people who don't know. Breed-specific legislation is what BSL is, Um, and a lot of people think automatically that breed-specific legislation only applies to pit bull-type dogs. Um, That's immediately where our minds go. We think, oh, bans, regulations on pit bulls only, and that is probably the furthest thing from the truth regarding breed-specific legislation. Yes, pit bulls are on the list, but more commonly, mixed-breed dogs who have a certain look to their face are targeted by BSL. Um, Breed-specific legislation also targets many Mastiff-type dogs, um, Rhodesian Ridgebacks, Huskies, Malamutes, Chihuahuas are a big surprise to a lot of people in California. Um, They have mandatory spay and neuter on Chihuahuas in certain areas of California. So that is breed-specific legislation. It's just not where our minds go to right away. So breed-specific legislation um, is way more than just a ban on types of dogs. And a lot of people only think that it's a ban. So most people feel that they're safe because there's not a lot of bans in North America per se. Um, Canada is actually home to one of the largest bans in the entire world, and that's in the province of Ontario. But we are also home to about 250 places that also have breed-specific legislation in the form of regulations and requirements um, and or restrictions. And the United States is the same. We will link a map um, to each area of Canada and the United States that does have BSL. And each map does show the level of BSL that is indeed enacted. But just to give you a sense of what breed-specific legislation requirements and limitations and regulations look like. Uh, Mandatory spay and neuter on certain breeds is one. Mandatory muzzling in public and in cars. Mandatory liability insurance. 
special and higher licensing fees in certain areas that have BSL, age requirements for owning and walking these dogs, short leashes, there's automatic labels of a dangerous dog or vicious dog without even having any kind of history of being that. Um, there's no history of bites, there's no history of attacks, but automatically these dogs are labeled as dangerous or vicious. Not being able to go to off-leash parks, city parks, certain training facilities, um, requirements to, to their own yard. There's a whole list of confinement issues that we have um, here in a lot of places in Canada, and they get pretty in-depth to what is required in your actual backyard to have one of these types of dogs. There's pet limits if you have these types of dogs, required um, photos to be held in the town so people can identify your dog, mandatory signs all over your home, mandatory enclosure requirements, higher fines should anything happen while your dog is in your care, an escape or a leash breaks or something like that. Um, so there is tons of forms that that do come into effect when it when we're talking about booth specific legislation. So we just want to make sure that people know it's not just a ban, it's restrictions on our life, our ownership with our dogs, and what we can and cannot do with our dogs. Yeah, no, and I think that that's so good to bring up because I don't think people realize, like I think, like you said, people hear BSL and they think it's just against blocky-headed type dogs and it's really much vaster than that. And the impact is much more negative and large than I think anyone really recognizes. I have to agree with you, especially especially here in Canada. Um, BSL, the, the, one of the biggest issues with breed-specific legislation is dogs are identified by visual breed identification. Um, and there's so many flaws with this way of identification. I can't comment on the states, but I know here in Canada, we do have a law. Um, it's the Animal Pedigree Act, which states that an animal cannot be referred to as a purebred animal without meeting the requirements of the pedigree. So. If you have a mixed breed dog like Mr. Magoo, I think I think you have a mixed breed as well, right? Um, uh, yeah, Tiva is, yeah. Okay, so if you have a mixed breed like one of those dogs that doesn't have pedigree, that you have no, no parentage history on or anything like that, your dog becomes a target automatically. Whereas if you do have a pedigree in some places, that pedigree can actually save your dog if it's not an American Pit Bull Terrier or an American Staffordshire Terrier or Staffordshire Bull Terrier or the 90 other breeds that some places do list. So it does get kind of confusing there too because most people think, oh, it's only purebred dogs, but it's actually the opposite. Our mixed breed dogs are the ones that are targeted way more than any of the purebreds. Right. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to understand that like a lot of the BSL is being enforced based on looks alone. Only right? looks and no history. That is, it's so flawed. Um, looks are everything for BSL. Uh, in certain areas in Canada, they will take your dog and they will literally measure every single part of that dog's body and compare it to a breed standard. And if you're in the UK is the exact same. If they fit into this area, it's either your dog is dead or your dog has to be sent away and hope that it can go to a different place and live out its life safely with other people. Yeah, right. So there's a gigantic cost to it. And I think that that's why I was, you know, this is such a pressing matter and more people need to understand the cost, right? And it's not just a blocky headed type dogs. It's to a lot of different breeds of dogs. And, you know, I would argue that BSL compromises the quality of life for all, all dogs everywhere. Right. So, um, guys, BSL is really vast and we really got to keep working to, um, get it repealed and replaced. Um, okay. So, Chantel, can you tell us a little bit, like, and you can speak to, you know, your area, but what is the history? Like, what was, like, the intention um, for BSL in, in most places? Uh, the original 
breed specific legislation was actually with hound dogs. Um, uh, they actually did it for slavery. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know about this. It's a really hard topic to talk about for obvious reasons, but they were certain dogs were trained to track down slaves that had escaped. And when the big revolution happened, thankfully it did, these dogs were only trained in that area. And so they were banned because they would track down certain people and we can't be having that in society. So that's actually where breed specific legislation started. It started there. And then we had other dogs that started to come up and become really, really popular. German Shepherds, Rottweilers, certain movies made them really popular and certain movies gave them the notion that they were dangerous, which made certain people want them more. Um, and when a dog breed becomes more popular, obviously the population explodes. You have a higher population. So in that population, you will definitely see more bites because we have a higher number of dogs representing that category. So that's where we saw Shepherds, Rottweilers and Dobermans start to get added to the BSL list. And then in 1970s, late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, several of our large magazines that were found in many households across North America, they did a whole bunch of articles on pit bull type dogs, uh, dog fighting, poverty, all of these things. And there was a big explosion from that moment forward that these were killer dogs, that only people in, in ghetto areas had these dogs and only people wanting to fight them had these dogs, which is not the truth. They're America's number one dog for a reason and it's not for dog fighting, thankfully. So that's where it all started and that's where it blew up from there. Yeah, and it's pretty crazy to think that like one advertising camp campaign led to an entire ban on a breed, right? That's pretty crazy. And I think, you know, I feel like by and large, you see way more positive, you know, pit bull coverage. But I think that, you know, that's still really rampant, right? Like the misinformation about blocky-headed type dogs just like, all over the place, right? Like, I feel like some of those norm, those, you know, myths and stuff are still perpetuated, you know, even almost 30 years later. Absolutely. The media has a large, large portion to play for this. The media is like a dog. It does, it does what works. And they know that pit bull type dogs make headlines. So um, just like that of a great white shark, you'll hear one attack but every media outlet will cover that and add their own things to it. And then before you know it, you have one dog attack that different places have covered all across the world or one shark attack. And they've made it appear to be so much more than what it was and numerous attacks when indeed it was just one incident. So we see, I, I hate to make the, the, the comparison to a great white shark, but it's the very same thing that we see. Fear sells and the stories of fear sell. So if we take one attack and we amplify it and make all of these dogs look like they're responsible for it, just like that of great white sharks, um, we've done the job for media, right? We've given them everything that they need to, to sell. And that's what happens. Media is the biggest contributor to breed specific legislation, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and I absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, something else that is worth bringing up is that, you know, there are decades of data and research that prove that BSL doesn't actually keep communities safer. There's, there's loads of it. There is no peer-reviewed data that supports breed-specific legislation. Um, UK just did a whole bunch of reports that they actually gave to their, their big government bodies because they wanted to see how effective it had been over the 20-plus years that they've had it. And it did not prove that it was effective at all. We've had numerous studies coming out of Canada that did the same. 
Ireland recently just did another one and they're actually closing their deadline today for submissions to review their Dangerous Dog Act because it's not effective. It's not keeping our communities safer. It's a band-aid solution that doesn't get to the core issue of what's actually happening and why we are seeing dog bites. It doesn't work at the core issues of, of education for responsible dog ownership and providing people with resources that they need to be better owners. Yeah, no, and I think that that's, you know, I think that the solution is what we obviously need to be focusing on and you've devoted your life to the solution, right? But I think that it starts with education, you know, and yeah, and so um, guys, Justice for Bullies um, recently um, sought out some advocates to help them with dog bite prevention and I'm super excited to be a part of that and we're targeting schools, Right. So we're, we're working with preschool, elementary age kids and teaching them dog bite prevention techniques that they can also teach to their parents. Right. And I really feel like that's where money should be going. Right. Money should be going to education and empowering the community to be more dog savvy so that we can keep the community safer and in turn our dogs safer. Exactly. And that's what that was our biggest focus. So um, we really do think that being that children are the most susceptible age for dog bites, we needed to focus in on that area and prevent as much as possible before it turns into another issue. Breed specific legislation is sadly going to be there for a very, very long time. But if we can reduce dog bites and we can change a couple kids' lives by teaching them safer ways to interact and hopefully save their life in the end, we'll be able to start picking away at the issues that are actually happening that are causing breed specific legislation. Right. So we well, are all for education, not legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what are some other um, actionable steps that you think that people and their community can be taking to, to end BSL? I think all the way from education to like um, showing up for, you know, um, city council meetings, like, do you have some suggestions for people in their areas that they know that they have BSL? Like, what can we be doing? We definitely need people other than just an advocacy group or one advocate to get together and to start talking in their community. Um, what I've found here that works the most is having representatives that actually live in that community coming together, going to events, talking to people, writing writing their lawmakers. That is probably the single-handedly most effective thing that we can do is to say like, we recognize that you do want public safety and we do too, but we do think that there's a better way to achieve this. Let's work together. Um, we have found that to be super effective as long as people are doing it from their area. Um, we saw a lot of people get involved with the Montreal fight and unfortunately none of us could really help as outsiders because the Montreal elected officials wanted their people to speak up. So we need people to speak up in their areas. A lot of areas that have active BSL also have dedicated Facebook groups, dedicated advocacy groups that all have information to get people together. Attending council meetings, writing emails, getting out and active in your community is a huge thing to helping us get out there. And most importantly, getting out there with your dog in a responsible manner because we are all a reflection of one another. And it's imperative that if we are fighting for these laws and for, for discrimination to end, that we do have good examples of dogs that are just like every other dog. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that responsible ownership is definitely something that we can be doing every single day, really? right? Is showing up and, you know, and I think that every blocky headed dog doesn't have to be a breed ambassador, right? It's not about a dog like interacting with every person and every dog. It's about showing that 
you can get out with that dog and they can act responsibly, right? And they can be a productive member of society just like you are. Well, that's just it. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people know Mr. Magoo's history. Mr. Magoo is uh, dog reactive, um, but we have done a lot of hard work to get him to be able to be in society and be a good member of society. And he has his canine good neighbor certification, which is North American wide recognized. So we can do it. We just need to be able to know our dog's limitations and work with those and get some help if we need it. Um, don't, don't go into the dark side and not get any help because you're afraid. Make sure that you reach out to certified professional dog trainers so that you're able to get out there and be a good member of society with your dog and get them the tools that they need. Yeah, no. And I think that that's a really good bridge into addressing, um, you know, the myths that um, blocky headed type dogs need a different type of training than the rest of the dog world. This is huge in our community. Um, I'm sure we all see it on Instagram. We all see it on Facebook, the belief that we need to have a heavy hand with these dogs because they're powerful or whichever, anything else anyone wants to say. But it's, it's false. Every animal, every species learns the same way. And we don't need to have a heavy hand to, to get where we need to. We wouldn't do that to a four-pound dog. So why would we do it to a 60-pound dog? I don't understand these methods. I don't understand this train of belief. Um, learning for animals is not breed specific, let alone species specific. Yeah, no. And guys, so um, I found Chantel on Instagram and I, I bought some of their gear, right, to kind of support their mission. And I was so insanely impressed with the the information that you sent with the gear that I got and the in-depth research that you were able to provide about how um, positive reinforcement and Lima, right, least intrusive, minimally aversive are the best ways for training, not only for blocky-headed dogs, but for all breeds of dogs. And and I love how you have incorporated that into your advocacy, right? Like it's not it's not just about BSL. It's about addressing everything in, in regards to these dogs that are so misunderstood. Agreed 100%. And I really enjoy what you're doing with yours too, because you have a blocky headed dog and you're leading by example. And I think that's the best thing that we can do is we can show our dogs and we can show what we've been doing to make them the dogs that they are today. I think it's important that people are able to see like, hey, this person had a reactive dog and look at them doing all these wonderful things with their dog without force. Yeah, absolutely. And it's beautiful, right? <laughs> Leading by example. It's the way for sure. Okay. So um, can you, can you kind of tell us your story? Like how did you get involved in this work? Okay. Well, I adopted this little dog named Mr. Magoo. Um, his name <laughs> Blue, and I didn't like it. And then they named him New Year Steve at the adoption agency. And I felt like that wasn't his name. So Mr. Magoo came to us and, um, he, I, you know, I knew, I knew there was a lot of rude people out there. I, I really did know that, but it wasn't until this little dog came into my life that I realized how many people lack filters and how much judgment is actually out there. So I came home with him and he kind of stunk really bad. He had mange and his fur was all missing and he was bloody everywhere and he had pink skin and people would just say really nasty things. So I said, I'm like, okay, well, I need to change this. I really need to figure out how, how I can fix this, this image in the public. And that's essentially where we started everything. Um, I worked within my community to try to change his reputation and to try to get people to come and meet him and to, to know that he's just a dog. He's a lovely little dog and come and meet him. And that's what we started doing there. Um, and then as I started to research why BSL was in place and why people felt this way, I actually realized that the, clo the, the city closest to us had BSL in place. 
Um, that was Chesimir, Alberta. And in order for me to even take Mr. Magoo there to our pet store, I would have to muzzle him in my car. Um, I'm all for muzzles. I'm not against them, but I do not agree with muzzles that are mandatory for a certain breed of dog. So I just want to make sure that everyone is aware of that. Um, and so that's where my fight started. I was like, there's no way I'm going to have to put a dog, a muzzle on my dog to take him to a pet store so he can get a treat. And so I reached out to counsel and I said, you know, I don't, I don't think that breed specific legislation is the way to go. How can we fix this? Here's the solution I'd like to offer. Let's talk. And we ended up going to council. We ended up doing the delegation. I spoke in front of the mayor, all council members, and a whole bunch of community staff and community uh, leaders. And we finally had a repeal in June. Oh my um, God, that's amazing. It was. Uh, the repeal was a wonderful thing, but what came after was quite scary. Uh, it rocked our world. So we had worked with that that city to remove breed specific legislation. They had told me that they would contact me anytime there was a problem so that we could try to work through it to see what was happening. They contacted me. I immediately thought, oh my gosh, there was a dog bite. What is happening? And in fact, one of their bylaw officers had charged me and Magoo for a dog bite that we had nothing to do with. They took our all of our media information that was because we were in the newspaper it was everywhere they took that picture and gave it to somebody and said was this the dog that bit you and they the person said oh yeah that was the dog that bit me and then two months later they had all of our information that that showed that we were not there and had given all the information that we were innocent and they still made us go all the way to trial so that we would lose our retainer fee to try to pin us for a dog bite that didn't happen we don't know if it even happened or a dog bite that somebody else is dog is is responsible for we're not too sure to this day so it had it was a good thing and then it just absolutely rocked my world how much as an advocate how much our dogs are actually going to be targeted once we step outside the norm and start having a voice it's pretty scary oh my god that's and it's it's so it's so heartbreaking to think that people want to hang on to these these horrible stereotypes and norms so much that they're willing to falsely accuse people and their dogs, right? Like it's, it's really sad. And I think it speaks to like a deep seated, um, heaviness that people still have that they're willing to hang on to this stuff that we know isn't true. Yeah, it was, it was a complete eye opener. I mean, there's not a lot of other people that this has happened to granted, thank gosh, but it, it can happen. And I do think it's important that people realize that there is such it, it, our society still holds on to these beliefs so deeply. And when somebody sometimes steps out of side of them and, and says, no, this is not right. They're, this is not how it is. This is not effective. This is not how it works. You do essentially put a target on your back. Right. Well, seriously, I commend you for putting yourself out there. And I'm so all of that is resolved now, right? Like you guys are involved. And then we had two repeals after that, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Two other repeals happened. Um, and then I took a, I took a step aside from fighting BSL on a Alberta provincial wide level for obvious reasons. And that's where I put all my efforts into trying to get other people to, to get involved, to get educated, to read, to learn about the research that's there and to approach their own council members so that I'm not the all, the only one ever doing it in Alberta. So that's where we put our efforts to. And then we did the dog bite prevention program, which was a really, really big thing for us. And we do think that we're going to get somewhere with that program. Um, 600 kids in our area have already been taught in the last year. And 300 in South Africa were taught recently using Mr. Magoo's coloring books and the program that we're using. So 
oh big my things God. Happen, um, they're just in smaller steps. Yeah, which is so amazing. And I think, you know, we talk about this all the time in dog training, right? How it's incremental and those small steps lead to really big results. And you are living proof of that, right? Yeah. And I'm no, I'm just your average dog owner. I'm no different than anybody else. Like we all have this within us. We just sometimes have to be a little bit brave and step outside of our comfort zone and just say, okay, I'm going to do my part. The worst that can happen is somebody says no, but it's already a no if you have BSL. So why not do the, why not try? Step outside your comfort zone, talk to your elected officials. They work for us. We do not work for them. And if they're not doing their job by representing us, or representing our dogs, then they're not working for us and they need to be held accountable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that, um, so in Colorado, Denver is pretty, you know, well recognized for having BSL. And I think that that's something that I'm going to look into, right. Is looking into like, where are these council meetings happening and how can I show up? Right. And literally just be there in person, because I think that that's what it takes. Like we need to, we need to talk to them face to face. Right. Instead of letting them hide behind their desks. Right. Like we need to be there and show up and let them know that, like, it's not improving the quality of the community. And I think, too, you know, the cost of enforcing BSL when that money could be going to education. Like, I feel like that's something that um, a politician probably wants to hear. Right. More safety, less money. Well, that's just it. I don't think they realize how much uh, time, money, efforts are, are spent trying to to find these dogs or trying to target these owners. Um, there is a lot of money lost by our municipalities for, for going after people with these types of dogs, especially when people like myself say we are innocent or we're going to fight this in court. And then you have all these other legalities that are taking place and all these other costs. But to have a team of animal enforcement agency members that are just looking for these types of dogs and these types of owners, we could be doing so much more and saving so much more money by making our community safer with effective ways versus having people just solely looking for these dogs who likely haven't even committed an offense or weren't acting in a vicious manner or weren't aggressive at all. We should be putting those funds into actually doing something to make our community safer. Yeah. Well, and I think that's something that is important to recognize for people too, is that like blocky headed type dogs fall very low on the reported bite scale, right? Like they're not number one for dog bites. I mean, people bites, right? Like there's plenty of other breeds. All dogs can bite people. Okay. All dogs can act aggressively and it's, it's not just blocky headed type dogs. And I think that we need to let the numbers speak. Well, that's just it in Canada. I can't, I can't speak for America right now um, off the top of my head, but I can't speak regarding um, Canadian dog bite related fatalities. Um, we have never had a purebred American Pitbull Terrier kill anybody in Canada or an American Staffordshire Terrier or a Staffordshire Bull Terrier. Um, the majority of people, um, the majority of dogs who unfortunately have been responsible for a, for a fatality have been mixed breed dogs. Um, aside from mixed breed dogs, if we were to categorize dogs, um, northern breeds are the number one offender in Canada. And that is usually because of a whole bunch of co-occurring issues that happen in that dog's life that result in a fatality and things like chaining, um, uh, residency dogs. Those are really, really big things. Um, we have a lot of issues in northern communities um, where dogs are not family pets. They're, they're resident dogs. And so they don't have the skills that they are required to have when a child comes running at them while they're on a chain or a person comes near them or they don't have food or they don't have 
resources or they don't have vet care. There's a lot of things that are happening to these dogs that are co-occurring to all of them that are causing these fatalities. And unfortunately, unless we start going as a group and looking at these issues, which we already already know about, but unless we start doing something about them, we are never going to prevent these fatalities and they continue to happen every single year. Thankfully, we're, we're on an average of less than two or three a year, depending on um, the year, but we, we don't have a lot of fatalities here, thankfully. And when we do, they, every single one of them has been a preventable fatality. Yeah. And I think ultimately what it boils down to is irresponsible dog ownership is to blame. Right. And, you know, dogs get the blame, but ultimately we're responsible for these dogs. Right. And if we don't give them the tools to survive in our world, it makes plenty of sense that bites are going to happen. It does. absolutely. That's their only way to to communicate. That's their only way. I mean, I'm sure that they give numerous other signs that we don't, a lot of people just don't speak their language. That's their last attempt. Dogs don't want conflict. It's not good for them. They don't want to have to resort to a bite and they most certainly do not want to have to resort to a fatality. That's just not the way of thinking. They do not want conflict. They don't see conflict. Yeah. And I think that that brings up a good point about this, like, you know, myth that dogs are unpredictable, right? Like dogs are super predictable, but you have to know what you're looking for. You need to speak your language. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just those subtle body language cues that so many people miss, you know, and I think that's something that is also pretty interesting to note is that a lot of bites to kids happen while parents are watching. They do. A lot of them do. And a lot of people think it's a lack of supervision and and not all the cases is that even happening. It, it happens when the adult is right there because the adult doesn't even know the signs. Yeah. And it's, you know, we know and love our dogs, but we all need to be working and evolving to know them better and understand them better so that we're not putting them in scenarios where they're going to feel so uncomfortable that it's going to lead to a bite. Right. Exactly. And I think it's, it's undeniable that some dogs do not care for the company of kids. And that is up to you as the owner to prevent those scenarios from happening. You know, like all dogs don't have to like kids. That's completely acceptable, but that's on you. It's you're the owner and you need to make sure that you're setting up the scenario so that kids are not coming close to your dog and putting your dog in an uncomfortable scenario. I agree. And another, while we're on this topic, like another really big reason that children are bit um, statistics show is because they're trying to hug the family dog. Dogs don't really love hugs. It's not a natural behavior for them. It's not a natural thing that they do. Um, They often feel trapped when you put two hands on them. They're like, oh my gosh, you've just taken my ability to flight away. What am I going to do? And in a lot of cases, children hugging their family pet is the reason that they are bit. And one of the biggest areas that they're bit or the most common areas that they are bit is in their face area. And that's because they are so close to another dog, the dog's face. The dog has a lot of times no choices because people are ignoring every single sign that's happening. And there's quite a few of them that happen before an actual bite will occur. Um, And I just think it's really important that as we as adults, start advocating for our dogs, but for the children in our life too. I don't have children, but every child that comes into contact with my dogs gets a breakdown of what to do and what not to do. And we all need to do that. Even if we don't have children in our life, it's important that we work with our dogs to expose them to it in respectful ways, 
and to keep them in safe ways. But we all need to do that part of it. And if we have a dog that doesn't like children, like you said, just don't bring the dog into those positions. I have one of those dogs. Bailey is terrified of children. So we don't have children run into our home and run around with her. We know that. And we do what we need to do to keep her safe and to keep everyone else safe. Yeah, no. And I I love what you guys are doing with, with the kid program. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And kids are so moldable and they want that information, you know, and breaking it down. I think starting with the kids is amazing because then kids are going to encourage their parents, right? And kids are going to have like the skill set to interact or not interact with dogs as they choose. Agreed. And we have adults attend our presentations quite a bit. And you would be surprised how many will come up to me afterwards and be like, oh my goodness. I had no idea. I was totally doing all of these things and I will never do them again. So even though we are targeting um, elementary and preschool children, the parents that are attending these events are also walking away learning something. And it's a really, really great thing to see because the parents can only teach what they know. And if they don't know right, we got to be able to give those tools so that it, it is impacted through the generations. Yeah, absolutely. And change starts small. And if we can get into these kids' lives and help them understand, I feel like the ripple effect over time is going to be just absolutely profound. I agree. I 100%. And that's why we're doing that. We'll start small and then eventually, hopefully, we will see everything else take place afterwards because we've started in tiny little places and we've worked at the core issues of why breed-specific legislation is usually put in place. And that's because of a dog bite. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you know, Obviously, dogs biting humans is not ideal, but, you know, we we've taken an animal and expected them just to adapt and evolve and live in our world. Right. And I dogs shouldn't be injuring people. But if a dog is feeling uncomfortable, it's perfectly acceptable for them to snarl, to warn someone to get away from them. You know, and I think that empowering people to understand that, like, dogs should absolutely be able to give warning signals. Because when we start punishing those warning signals, that's when we start to borderline into unpredictable behavior. And that's when we get a dog that just will not show how they feel. They will not show their emotions and they will just do. Um, suppressing that kind of behavior never, ever helps us. That's why we always try to tell people, don't punish that growl. That growl is probably going to be your last form of communication from your dog letting you know they are not comfortable and you have pushed them way too far. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we just all need to get more savvy, right? Like as community members and recognize that like dogs should be allowed to freely communicate how they're feeling, right? Because suppressing emotion is terrible for people and equally as bad for dogs, right? And guys, you know, you have heard me preach on this before, but I think it's worth bringing up again, right? Using punishment, using punitive techniques, shock collars, pinch collars, choke chains, that's punishing behavior. And if you are consistently punishing warning signs, those warning signs will start to go away. Okay. And then you have a dog who is a huge risk. So if you have a dog that can behave aggressively, your best mode of training is always positive reinforcement, always Lima principles, right? No matter the behavior problem. And especially if you have a dog who can act aggressively, it's even more imperative that you're using these science-backed techniques to make meaningful behavior change versus suppressing behavior with punishment. 
Agreed, 100%. And that's where we need to have more community leaders that are in professional positions like dog trainers or behaviorists, uh, veterinarians, groomers even, come forward and to speak out on this because we are the ones that are in contact with these animals all the times. And we are the ones that understand this a little bit more than your average lawmaker. So it's imperative that we as a community and we as people who, who have animals in our care for our profession start talking about this and start getting that information out there and leading by example because unfortunately we live in a society where this punitive methods have been all that anyone has ever used for the longest time and they don't understand how easily you can modify behavior and how impactful you can how much impact you can make it on animals life let's talk about justice for bullies how can people um support your mission how can they get involved with you guys um, we have a Facebook page, a Facebook group, um, the Instagram account. We do post some educational posts on there, but our Facebook and our web page are actually more where you'll find that information. Instagram has a limit on characters and unfortunately educational posts don't have a limit on characters and they can be pretty lengthy. So we all, we don't put them there as much as we'd like to, but our web page and our Facebook page is always active there. Um, we do post some on the Instagram account. Absolutely. But that's mostly where you're going to find my little dogs and our shenanigans that we get into every day so they can get involved there uh, we do lots of really fun things to get involved too with the community we do a calendar competition every year which is a reflection of all of the dogs that follow us as a whole um, it's found on walls across the world which is a really nice way to open up conversation as well our gear is our our biggest thing our gear was the purpose of the gear was to give people something for helping us in return but what that gave us was a whole bunch of doors to to open up the the walls to to have conversations in our community people don't understand what justice for bullies means and i did that intentionally so that conversation would start with that we actually have a whole blog on why i picked the name justice for bullies but the clothing is our number one way to get conversations starting that community and almost every single person that wears our gear has emailed me to say like Somebody's asked about this and that's all I wanted to ever hear because when people are asking, that means things are turning in people's brains and people are actually out there making, making a difference. Um, people will walk away seeing you in our gear and they would have probably met your dog with you and seeing that, you know, not every pit bull type dog is going to be this vicious killer that the media makes us out to be. So that was where we tried to get our gear out. That's a way to get involved. Um, we do take sponsorships for our dog bite prevention program uh, because we still have to cover the cost for the coloring book. Uh, we are going to be hiring about 15 people North American wide, we're hoping, to take the programs into school, which means we'll have to get demo dogs for everybody and help get them all set up. But that's a different way to get involved with us as well. If you're passionate about dogs, behavior, children, and keeping our community safe, we would love to hear from you. We'll be sending out an application form quite soon for everybody for that. Um, but there's tons of ways to get involved. And, and really, if you need help in your area and you don't even know where to start, send us an email. We'll be happy to, to hold your hand the entire process. We'll be able to give you resources. We team up quite a bit with Animal Farm Foundation, which is in the States. So we do have access to some really, really amazing organizations that will get on board um, for US residents as well, because we are out of Canada. But we are everywhere on social media. You know where to find us. And to get involved, it's as simple as following us and asking questions. Yeah, I love that. And guys, I'll include links to all that stuff in the show notes. And then um, there is an option too. you guys can just make like um, people can just make like a cash donation too, right? 
Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> we recently opened up the donations despite my reluctance. My board members voted me out and we are now um, taking donations on the website um, so that we can keep doing what we do. Uh, our educational information goes out in every single parcel that we send. Um, every single parcel across the world gets information about justice for bullies, about responsible dog ownership. A lot of them get safe um, training methods for positive reinforcement. So we have a ton of really good information. So the learning doesn't just stop when you make a purchase we try to ensure that it keeps going yeah no and guys it's amazing and and like Chantal was saying I have a justice for bully shirt and I bought a hat for my husband and it has been an amazing conversation starter right and I was really surprised to hear how many people in Denver didn't even know that BSL was a thing Denver is one of the worst in the states for BSL we actually did a BSL bite on that so I'll send that to you as well because we had some really good information there yeah. Awesome. Okay. Chantal, thank you so much for all the work you do on behalf of bully owners everywhere. It is so much fun. Thank you so much for sharing all this awesome information with us today. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for leading by example and being a positive member in our community and for our dogs. Do you want to be able to trust your dog off leash? Do you want to improve your relationship with your dog? A dog with a trustworthy recall gets way more opportunities to adventure and be a dog. Let's be honest, having a dog that doesn't come when called really kind of sucks. So, do you want to make your life easier? Do you want to learn how to train a trustworthy recall? Do you have 10 minutes a day to devote to training for just 30 days? Check out my online course, Trustworthy Recalls. I give you step-by-step instructions for teaching a trustworthy recall with just 10 minutes a day for 30 days. You can learn more about trustworthy recalls at agfdogtraining.com. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore nco you can also find us on facebook at a good feeling dog training as well as our website agfdogtraining.com